Welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Van Busicum, and joining me on the show today is Dr. Jessica Devine from Sioux Nation Pet Clinic. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. So last year, you came to the show to talk about traveling with pets or boarding them during the holidays. This year, we're talking about the holidays again, but in a little different fashion. Yes. I was going to say, with holidays coming, there's always unexpected things that pop up with our pets um, and things that we need to definitely watch for with different foods and decorations and uh, things along those lines. With that, what are some foods that we maybe enjoy other times of the year, but usually around the holidays, that could possibly be dangerous for our furry friends? Big things we need to watch out for is chocolate is one of the big things. I mean, I feel like a lot of times during the holidays, yes, you have chocolate all year round, but during the holidays, the chocolate bars come out. You have a lot more cookies that have chocolates in them um, and those types of things. So there is definitely some issues if our dogs get too much chocolate is our biggest concern. Um, it can be cause anything from just some mild GI upset signs to actually causing some really life-threatening disease issues if they continue to consume too much. Chocolate is an allergy for dogs, right? It's an allergen. So it could be one chocolate chip or it could be a whole pan of brownies, but you really don't know till the dog consumes it and either lives or doesn't, right? Yes and no. It, usually it's dose dependent. So like one chocolate chip for most dogs isn't going to do much. But if you have a two pound chihuahua and he eats two or three chocolate chips, that actually could be fatal to them. And if I remember right too, it, it depends on the chocolate percentage. It's the cocoa percentage, not necessarily just chocolate. Is that right? Exactly. So your baker's chocolates are your worst, your cocos, um, that type of thing. Your semi-sweet, your milk chocolates that are in most of your stuff um, actually has the lowest percentage. So those don't tend to be as bad. But when you're baking and you're baking with cocoa powder and um, using that kind of stuff, it really can add up in a hurry. Yeah. I suppose, you know, a good rule of thumb is just to better be safe than sorry if your dog or your cat consumes chocolate. Yes, better safe than sorry. If they consume something, call your veterinarian. They are able to typically find a dose to figure out how much they consume to know what we're going to expect for signs. Sounds good. Yeah, my own dog, we thought she had grabbed one little chocolate bar, the wrapper, and uh, I, of course, freaked out. And so I was like, well, we need to induce vomiting right now. And we did. And I'm glad we did because she was a lot faster eating those candy bars than I thought. She had eaten four of them, not one. So I was really glad that we reacted so quickly. So that's another thing, I guess, is that maybe they you thought they only had grabbed one cookie, but maybe they ate more. Our animals, they can't tell us how much of it they ate. And sometimes when we do make them vomit, they vomit up more than what we expected. I know that there are other things that are rough on dogs and cats too. What about like bird bones, of course, are, are bad for dogs. What about turkey skin? Skins and bones in general Ideally, we want to avoid them. The bones definitely can cause GI perforations and can get stuck and cause all kinds of issues. The kicker with our skin is that's usually where all the fat is. And some of our dogs are do not have iron stomachs and they can't handle all that fat and they end up becoming what we call pancreatitis. So it can cause some vomiting and diarrhea. And honestly, pancreatitis can be life-threatening if it continues. We want to really watch our fat content on those things and try to really... Yeah, we want to give little Fluffy a little snack. Maybe let's give her just a little tiny piece of regular meat with no fat or skin on it so she can have just a little piece of turkey 
or better yet, let's give her the sweet potatoes that don't have anything really added to them typically versus trying to feed them the parts that we don't necessarily want to eat. So basically also like that includes like pieces of ham fat, pieces of no, anything that's really fatty, kind of wash that and gravy included. Yes. Anything that's fat. I mean, we've had, sadly, we had one dog in the clinic who ate a potato a lay, ate a potato a lay, one, um, and was hospitalized for two days from pancreatitis. So they can definitely cause some issues. So just in general, I would highly recommend not feeding any of your table scraps to our dogs if we can help it, just to kind of help ease their tummies and being very conscious about where we put the remains of that bird that we now just ate. So that way our dogs don't get into the trash and eat it and that kind of stuff. So making sure that that's put somewhere either up high and away or it's in the garbage can and is now outside towards the dumpster aspect of things. So we don't have any anybody trying to be Houdini and figuring out how to open the trash can. And I know there's also... Uh some struggles with artificial sweeteners like xylitol, you know, and, it, and it's in some surprising things. I, th- I think it's also, isn't there another trade name for it now? It's like palm sugar or something. That, that, that's got to be wrong, I guess. But I believe it's just xylitol is the big one that we know of in our dogs right now. But yeah, it's in chewing gum is probably the biggest one, but it's hidden in other stuff too. It's hidden in toothpaste. It's hidden in some of like your little gummy vitamins and everything. It's just a... I know it's also in like light peanut butter. So if you're using peanut butter to make your peanut butter cookies and you're thinking, hell, this would be fine for my dog. But if it's if you're using a light or a low-fat type peanut butter, check the label for what else is in there just to make sure that it's safe. It is best to double check. I mean, I think we kind of cover the food aspect. What about some of the other things like decorations? I know you and I talked earlier before uh, this morning about you know one of my dogs. I was worried at eating a piece of twine. I mean, tinsel is kind of like twine. So yes, it is. Um, that is probably, I mean, we put up a Christmas tree in our house. When you honestly think about it, our dogs and cats think, Hey, you just brought the indoors inside. So it's now a giant for some of our cats and especially our kittens. You brought in a tree, you brought in a jungle gym for us to play on. So we need to really be careful to making sure that that tree is secured so they don't tip it over because it will happen. I can tell you that from personal experience. Also things to making sure is, I mean, watching what you're using for ornaments. Definitely, I mean, if you're using a glass ornament and they decide to tip your tree over or to knock it off of the tree, um, you have the risk of having pad sores, um, they can get cuts on them. If they're chewing on it, like anything along those lines can definitely cause some problems. And yes, tinsel. Tinsel is a wonderful piece of essentially string um, that doesn't break very easily and can cause some major issues if our pets do eat them. Typically, we'll see some linear foreign bodies from them is what will happen. So those are a life-threatening issue that needs to surgery for to typically correct and can be big problems. Well, then of course you have like the lights and everything else that's getting plugged in and maybe your pet doesn't eat lamp cords anymore because maybe they're adults, but it's something new and they might put it in their mouth. Yes, they might, or they may decide, especially watch with a lot of trees now with being pre-lit. So those wires and there's more strings than just your normal string of lights, being careful and making sure that those are all tucked up. Because honestly, if your kitty cat does decide to scale the Christmas tree, there is a potential of them getting stuck and hung up in those cords as well. 
and depending on where they get hung up can also depend on how what outcomes of different things that can happen. Continuing on that Christmas tree path, there's also all kinds of plants that make their way into the home during the holidays. I know there's some resources for folks to look up different plants to make sure that everything they bring in is safe for their pets. Which resources would you recommend? The one that I use probably the most is the um, Pet Poison Helpline. They also have a website online that'll have like list of your most common house pets plants um, that can be detrimental to our pets and cause cause issues. So that's a good resource for that one. But yeah, you do really have to watch watch some of ours. Our lilies are probably the worst ones to bring in, um, which luckily they don't come in at Christmas time, but they come in at Easter. That's one of the things I've watched religiously, even as far as like what kind of flowers I plant outside in my landscaping to avoid anything that the dogs or cats might eat that would be harmful, even though they're some of those really pretty flowers are pretty dang toxic. I was going to say, we don't realize as much as some of those that can be a problem. Times are also like visitors. And I, I don't know what you do when folks come to your home, but I know that folks come to mind. I'm always like, well, if you want to bring your dog, you can, but always make sure to bring a kennel so they have a safe place to go. Or if the pets aren't getting along, we can separate them. What other things would you recommend as far as trying to keep our pets happy and feeling safe when there's so much activity in the home? does bring up a good point because some dogs are very social butterflies and they want to see and be around everybody, whether it's people or pets, other animals that come into the home with them. And you have others that honestly, they're scared. They don't like having company over. They don't want to be around that new puppy that your cousin just brought over because they just got it for Christmas. So you do need to have, I mean, make sure that your dog is wearing ideally a collar with appropriate identification on it. So has either a tag that has name and phone numbers on it or um, microchip information. So that way, in case something does happen and somebody opens the door and they take off, we do have the ability of getting them back and somebody finds them. Also, I mean, big things are is they need to have a secure place to go, like you said. So having that kennel available or at least knowing like, okay, today Fluffy's here, this is her house, but she doesn't want anybody else in it. We've got to have, whether it's the back room or someplace, the bathroom, where they, we can put somebody else in in case something does happen. Being conscious of that and realizing that sometimes that we're entering their territory, sadly enough, and they want to be in charge of some of it too. Backtracking a little bit, it's probably a good idea too to remind all of our listeners that definitely call ahead and ask people if you're going to their home about whether or not you can bring your pet or whatever have you, because showing up without pre-calling is a, I, I would consider it a kind of a slight or a misstep, I suppose. Pretty inconsiderate to try to expect someone to accommodate your pet without giving them some forewarning and asking if it would be okay. Well, and that's just it. And sometimes you may, this may be someplace where you've gone before and you have brought your pet, but I mean, you may realize other people may be there who aren't necessarily as happy about seeing animals around. They may be immunocompromised in some way, shape, or form. So sometimes our pets can bring stuff and transfer things back and forth. Or honestly, not all dogs like kids as much as we want to say they do. So that's something else that we need to be aware about of what are you going to introduce your dog into? So making sure, calling ahead, being like, hey, is it all right if I bring Fluffy along today? Just double checking. It's always better to be safe than sorry. Right. And especially sometimes even it's safer for the dog because I know plenty of families that have small children that don't have pets and those 
kids don't really know how to interact with pets. And so it's just stressful for your pet as well saying, hey, you're putting them in a situation where kids don't really know how to act and they're trying to learn, but it's not always the most fun to be the guinea pig, I guess, at some holiday party. Most definitely. And it's, I mean, once again, that goes back to, I mean, we're talking about animals that need there's some of them that, yeah, they want to be that social butterfly and be involved in everything. And there's others that are like, no, this is my house, my space. I'm not not into seeing it. And sadly enough, kids move quick sometimes. And if we're not careful, bad things can happen. One thing we haven't quite touched on yet is what are some great ways to have identification on your pets just in case they do get away from us? either when we're taking them to some family member's home or just in general. Good rules of thumb besides just a collar and NID tags. Is there anything else we could be doing? I mean, having a microchip placed in them is always a great idea because what happens if that collar slips off um, or they slip out of their collar because their collar's not on tight enough? I mean, those are big things. But if that microchip is a little tiny, it's about the size of a grain of rice, um, most of them have... mm, our new ones have 15 digits to them, so they're unique to that animal alone. If they were to get picked up by animal control or end up in a humane society or even most vet clinics, um, you're able to scan them, and that microchip then can be linked back to your name and phone number, so that way somebody has access to being able to get, get in hold of you to let you know that, hey, we found them today. That's awesome. This has been a really informative conversation Thank you so much for coming. Is there anything else that we should kind of be thinking about as far as resources to have at our disposal for our pets during the holidays or or other times? I mean, really, the big ones are probably keeping track of the pet poison control line um, is a good one to have on hand. The other things is making sure that you have info of your veterinarian and who your clinic is that you've been using. And then occasionally... I mean, not all vet clinics are open 24-7 anymore. So if there is an ER around, make sure you have that number as well so you can get a hold of some different things. But our pets have become a valuable part of our lives and we like to keep them there. Well, thanks so much, Jess, for your time today. And I know you have a busy schedule and thank you for taking some time out to talk to me and talk to our listeners and teach us some things about how to keep our pets safe and healthy and how to maybe make it a little smoother as far as all of our interactions this holiday season. Well, thanks for having me. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And if you didn't find this episode entertaining, hopefully you at least found it informative.